Hello everybody, welcome to this week's Galazzo, which centres, as you might expect, on Tuesday night's clash at Anfield. A night that for Roma was more over than under, more long gone than gone along, more five goal in than nine goal in, more sh than chic. We look at the Anfield Amaring, the Eusebio Keo, and the prospects for next week, which shouldn't take long. On a brighter note, there's a title race back on in Serie A. We check out again Napoli's win Sunday night in Turin and ahead of this weekend's now crucial Derby d'Italia, Inter against Juventus, we review possibly the most controversial Serie A game ever. I got signals, I got readings in front and behind. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Who's firing? God damn it! Yeah. I ordered a whole fire. Coming out of the wall! Coming out of the goddamn wall! Fuck! Uh, hey, Paul. I want you to lay down a suppressing fire with the. That's great! Hold your fire, god damn it! I said I want you to lay down a suppressing fire with the incinerators and fall back. Order your team to withdraw! They're cut off! Yep, Roma manager Lieutenant Gorman there left uh, watching helpless and hapless as a frankly unworldly Liverpool swarm all over his men. Unfortunately for Roma at Anfield on Tuesday night, there was no Ripley to save the situation. James Horncastle's with us, fresh back from Merseyside. Hello, Jimbo. And also here, Gabriele Marcotti. Gabriele, good morning. Good morning, James. All right. James, what was it like at Anfield? Oh, the atmosphere was incredible. I think it was rather ominous that Roma decided to stay at the Titanic Hotel rather than in Hope Street. <laughs> um, but I thought Roma for the first 25 minutes were pretty good, even though they kind of accepted the risk that um, Liverpool would get behind them on occasion. They disrupted Liverpool's rhythm quite well um, without really carving out any clear-cut chance, I suppose. I was right behind that Kolarov shot, um, which hit the bar, and it was... It was one of the quickest things I've ever seen. In the blink of an eye, it had gone. I can't really blame Carriers for uh, letting that squirm through his hands. And then they just blacked out, um, completely out of the game. I think what, one of the things that was really interesting from, from watching um, up close was just how angry uh, the Roma players were with themselves, how angry they were, um, or the constant chat between them and Di Francesco on the sideline, particularly on the fourth goal. Um, where, which came just after he'd made a double substitution. And it was clear that they didn't really know where they should be, what their jobs were. Um, I think Strootman thought he was going to be playing in the middle. Di Francesco didn't want that. And so they all just kind of pushed over to the right and Liverpool just got in on, 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 on the other side. Yeah, it was. I think from a Liverpool point of view, um, it was kind of familiar with um, with what happened in the league game against Man City at Anfield where... They just blew them away for a period and were, what, 4-1 up in that game and then either are tired, make some substitutions, which again sort of disrupt the uh, tempo of the game and, and allow the, t the other team to salvage something from it. Mm. Um, and that's, what I suppose, what Roma have done, even though it's still a pretty bleak picture um, for yeah. them going to the second leg. Di Francesco earned lots of praise for his architecture of that comeback against Barcelona. Gab, can you remember watching a manager looking this helpless, this this lost on the sideline? No, and 
I was kind of shocked by what he said after the game. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of interesting. I, I was watching on uh, on Mediaset, and he, and so they asked him about the formation and defending mm. so high, something which is so obvious that you know, even Glenn Hoddle's pointing it out and you know, clocking along to it uh, for, for most of the game, and and he says, well, no, what you know, the problem wasn't the high line. The problem was. You know, Liverpool were better. They were first to the ball. They were sharper. We weren't aggressive enough in midfield. And uh, <laughs> and they asked De Rossi afterwards about this. And he's like, well, you know, of course, we could have always been more aggressive and sharper in midfield. But it's also a bit difficult when you're just hitting balls over the top. Absolutely. Because that's what happened. So the first 20 minutes, Klopp obviously wasn't expecting Roma to play this way. Roma squeeze up and yeah, Liverpool, look, they're not really dangerous at all because they're trying to play through the midfield and it's congested. Then Klopp says, ha, why don't we put the ball over the top? And sorry, I get criticized when I try to do a bad German accent, but he puts his, but why don't we put the ball over the top? Mm. And, I was going to say you managed pretty well to do a well, bad German know, accent. I've, I've, I've lived there for, I spent four years of my life in that lovely country. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's Fazio against Mane and mm. Manolas against, or even worse, Jesus against Salah, and, and that's not where you want to be. And that's when, you know, you would have expected Di Francesco, who I presume has been to Coverciano, and who, him to come up with something else. And I think that's probably what a lot of it, the players on the pitch were realizing this, were getting burned time and time again. We have to do something. Let's fix it. so long yeah. to make, make that change, not only... The, the what the double substitution and then going to what four three three, um, and they did look a little bit more comfortable after that because the players I think you know realised that that was the way to go. But at the same time, you know Roma's comeback I don't think was because of any great tactical change. It was more because it was Liverpool, Liverpool got disease. complacent. It Liverpool was the, got tired and it was the same thing that prompted you know the combat Sevilla's comeback against uh, uh, against Liverpool mm. and and City's. Uh, late goals against Liverpool, and you know, and, and in the in the four three, I mean, it's that sort of you know, I suppose I mean, downside of clock. All the guys afterwards, um, De Rossi, Florenzi, they were saying um, we were so well prepared for this game. We knew everything about Liverpool. That's mm. what they kept saying. We knew everything about them. And you should probably know better than to leave all that space in behind. Well, they, we they talked know, about but this. If the manager tells you mm. to line up a certain way. You know, well, that was his line. To, to be call. fair, to be fair, on Monday we did talk about this, and you, there was an there was an understanding, I think, of yeah. why Di Francesco might want to do it. It's one thing to try this Ooh, against. Can you explain Le- it, please? Because I'm really curious. Well, over to you, James. I this on my, like, what what could I understand? It worked against Barcelona, mm. largely because Mr. Dufus plays Sergio Roberto, and you know, 46 year old Iniesta, and you've got Suarez and Messi up front, but. And they were going to play through the middle, and so you congest it, and you play a high line, and hey, it works. It's not going to work against against these guys. Mm. The high line, it was the absolutely disastrous thing. You can understand possibly how Di Francesco thought this might work, and for the first 20 minutes it did until a loose ball allowed Liverpool to see how easy it was to spring mm. the trap, and after that, that's all they did. Salah che cerca la giocata Salah e c'è il gol di Mohamed Salah che trova 
What was perplexing was not making a mistake in the first place. It was not changing it because he exactly. said everybody could see this. The players were coming over and saying, what are we going to do, mister? And Di Francesco comes into the press conference with a face like thunder. The first thing he does is sit down and call his own players out. To me, this seems like a really significant moment in his career at Roma. I think if you zoom out, you would say what we've done to get this far is a success because this is the first time Roma have been in a Champions League semi-final in 34 years. And that was the only way he was going to do better, let's say, than what Spalletti did last year because Spalletti statistically had the best season anyone's ever had at Roma. Um, so it was going far in a cup competition, maybe even winning a competition, a cup competition, which made going out in the Coppa Italia before Christmas so disappointing. Um, but he, again, seems very dogmatic and kind of um, fundamentalist about his sort of principles really because he was saying you guys keep concentrating on the system um, well systems die when players don't do their jobs it's not a, it's, the system is not the problem it's we lost every individual battle um, every time they tried to dribble us they got past us and that's where it was wrong. It wasn't the, the system. The whole reason you have tactics mm. is so that you don't have a whole sequence of Mohamed Salah as a, at a full sprint up against Juan Jesus in the open field. Mm. That's why you have tactics, to minimize those situations. Mm. It's not a question of individual battles. You have tactics so that you skew the game so that you have as few battles as possible that you're likely to lose and as many poss battles as possible that you're likely to win. Mm. You have tactics so that hey, you can isolate Jekko against Lovren, who either can't get off the ground or when he does, he jumps like five yards in the wrong direction. That's what you want to do. That's why you have tactics, right? Mm. I, I don't, I mean, I, can, I don't know what went through, what went through his mind. To me, the, the, there's two things that went awfully wrong here. One is he made his name playing a certain brand of 4-3-3 with the strikers, with, with the, sorry, with, with the wingers playing very wide, right? That's your bread and butter changed it necessarily against Barcelona but also you were 4-1 down so you had nothing to lose but this is a different game it seems to me more natural to go back to your bread and butter to what got you there to what made you Di Francesco than continue with this wacky system and the other thing James you nailed it it's 180 minutes I think the turning point probably the as soon as Mane misses that chance you turn around you say wow we are really lucky okay time to shut up shop time to deny space behind and we got to hang in there and De Rossi does his gladiator thing and, and it's an ugly 1-0 or 2-0 loss, fine. We'll go and we'll get them at our place. Mm. I, I think that's, that's what you do at that point. You, you don't keep persevering for another hour with this nonsense. Well, it looked like it could end up in, in double figures. It looked like having laid the, to rest the ghosts of Bayern Munich and Barcelona and, and, and that trip Man to United. Old Trafford in the, in the noughties. Oh, also, you it know, I mean, looked, it looked like this was a different Roma this year. But for sixty minutes Tuesday night, mm. we were we were right back there. Now we've ended up with a, a five-two. Sorry, James, you're going to add something else there. No, I mean the stick that everyone beats um, Di Francesco with when he's on the end of these kind of score lines is like, you know, who do you always say is your biggest biggest mentor? Zenig Zeman, right? Which, you know, is unfair. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but on a night like last night, you can see you can see why. Yeah. Know? I wonder how much uh, the players have a role in saying they wanted to play that system, not necessarily that way, um, because I think if you listen to what they were saying after the Barcelona game, they're saying, we played this way last year 
and we feel comfortable with it. We still feel we've got the, the players to do it. And they did it against Lazio, even though you kind of thought... Are you talking this, about the three at the back or the high the line? The three at the back. Right. For example, there was no reason to play that way against Lazio. It didn't seem to match up well against Lazio. Um, so I, I think there's, there's, there's a compromise going on there between the manager wanting to play his way and the players feeling comfortable in a certain system but you know the the principles within that system. Obviously, you know he wants you to defend very high. Are we going to suggest that De Rossi maybe should have broken ranks with the orders and said, "All right, never mind the guy with the glasses and the beard on the sidelines. Mm. Uh, the other guy with the glasses and the beard on the sidelines. This is what we're going to do, mm. and screw him, and we'll we'll, we'll sort it out." To the Guardian. Should he have done that? I think there's yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think, but I, I mean, it was the 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 amount of conversation going on between Jeko, um, De Rossi, and uh, Nyingalan. They were vocal really from the get go. Like it was no surprise that Chengiz under went off at half time because Nyingalan and Strutman were furious with him um, for just um, you know for either t- taking the bait of whatever Liverpool were fishing with, mm. and. It was a bit of a surprise to me that De Rossi lasted as long as he did because I don't think this was this was picked up on the on the thing. But he he um, he was clearly Zopikan though. You know, he he went up for a challenge with Milner, came down, didn't look like he could really um, play at the same sort of uh, intensity. Um, and what well, he waited what, until the 60, 70th minute for, for to put Gonalons on. So. I know. I mean, there's definitely leaders there, um, but they seem to be calling out each other's mistakes rather than actually saying let's let's change this around. Let's do something different for what he wants on the on the sidelines. But, okay. Hmm. For anyone who's bought their ticket already for Rome, can you give them any any glimmer of hope? So obviously, your glimmer of hope is the last round, which is they were four one down from the first leg. Uh, but that, that Barcelona team, to be fair, was m- massively complicit in that. Can you see Klopp going with the same attitude to Stadio Olimpico? Well, first of all, Klopp doesn't change his attitude ever, right? Yeah, but Liverpool it's generally the... always play the same way. Right. Now, obviously, they're not going to be... It's, it's obvious. Oh, look, Barcelona lose. Well, it must be because they're complacent because they have Messi. So, now look, Barcelona made a lot of mistakes in that game. Hmm. You got the lineup wrong. You got the tactics wrong. If Di Francesco somehow comes up with some system that messes with Liverpool, Klopp's really unlikely to change his lineup. He might change his personnel, but he's not going to change his, 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 his approach, right? Because right. he doesn't really do that. Um, Can you think of a system that Di Francesco might find at five in the morning on Saturday? To, to, to be honest, Roma have a lot of guys who are good in the air, right? Mm-hmm. Fazio, De Rossi, Strowman, and obviously Jekko and, and, and Schick. What if you just go the West Brom route and you just start pumping long balls, for example, and say, hey, Lovren, hello, Dijon, come on, Lovren, you know, we'll and wait for Lovren. in as well. We'll put some cross, yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 I don't want to labor the like, point, but yeah. Carius is not good. Yeah. Lovren is not good. You know, I, I mean, they have their strengths, but they're not on a, on a, on a level, on, on a par, I think, with, with the rest of the Liverpool side. So maybe you exploit that weakness, or maybe you just get Dotti to come on as a sub with half an hour to go and, and the speed contrast there gap uh, yeah, something well, no just just, just it's, no look it's all uphill I, I tweeted this last night what the, the main concern for me is that against Barcelona away they lost 4-1 but I mean this led to a whole debate about whether it was a good thing or a bad thing mm. they lost 4-1 but they were really unlucky it was a close game they went back to Rome saying you know what these guys aren't these that guys. good we yeah. can beat them we can house them mm. um, against Liverpool 
they're going to go home saying like, okay, they gifted us two goals at the end because they're, they're, they're Wallies, but goodness me, like, <laughs> they could have scored 10. Pretty ugly for Roma inside the ground. Ugly scenes outside as well, James. What, what did you see in the build-up? Uh, one Liverpool fan hospitalised. Well, when I got there, I was there at what, four o'clock and they're, they're already kind of quite a big away presence there. Um, but they were trying to get them into the away end as quickly as possible. And um, it was clear, I'd say, that 1,500 to 2,000 of them were already um, in situ whilst it was pouring it down with rain. And you thought that's going to really dampen their enthusiasm. And it didn't look like there was going to be any um, trouble. There were, Roma fans were loud. We only saw one sort of instance of the police sort of um, rushing as though an incident was happening. Um, and, you know, I... The curious thing was that the the incident I was referring to, I think, happened shortly before kickoff, when all mm. the supporters would have been inside anyway. No, or they should have been. Yeah, uh, there's a ton that we don't know, and I was in these situations. People always speculate, you know, the rumor mill. So, the facts that we do know is that a 53 year old man, presumed to be a Liverpool supporter, was attacked uh, or was was seriously injured in uh, in an attack involving a number of a number of individuals many of whom were identified by the police, two of whom were, were arrested. Uh, both those people arrested uh, were from Rome. The gentleman in question, what we do know for certain is that he hit his head. He might have suffered other injuries as well. And, um, and, and, and he's in hospital in, 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 in grave condition. Those are the facts. <laughs> if you want a little dose of, 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 of speculation, or at least how this is how this is different and unusual, and maybe this helps explain why the police were unprepared for it. And, you know, this is, these are the two police forces working together, as always happens in, in European games, is that it's, um, if you are going to stage some sort of ambush or, or attack, um, normally, generally, they tend not to go after total civilians, um, which a 53-year-old man obviously is. Secondly, they tend to do it in a situation where they have a way out. Um, in fact, one of the, especially when it's when it's far people from the far right, they have this whole sort of fascist militaristic pride, and they know how to get in and get out unseen, and you know you never knew we were here and stuff like that. In this case, with all the CCTV directly outside the ground, there's no, you know, there was no way they were going to get away with it. Um, you know, there's enough cops that not enough to stop the incident before the guy got hurt, unfortunately. Uh, and the whole incident, I'm told, lasted you know, less than a minute. Um, so the word of the work, one of the working theories is that this was a group of, of fans from Rome who traveled ticketless. They couldn't, get the, they, they, they couldn't get a ticket once they were there, unsurprisingly. And, uh, and they said, hey, look, everybody's inside the ground, but here's some sitting ducks. Um, let's go and you know, whack them a few times. And, uh, and 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 run off, and mm. it's suspicion of of attempted murder. So this is very serious, yeah. and you know I, I for one hope that the name shamed and they throw the book at them. Absolutely, and equally that that uh, nothing happens next week when Liverpool travel to Rome, because there's been any number of precedents involving English fans in the Italian capital when there's a football match involved. All right, well um, prospects for the second leg great for Liverpool fans, and they were. Magnificent. Do you see this impacting at all on Roma's battle for a Champions League place next year? They're 
level on points with Lazio coming into the weekend. They're hosting Chievo with Inter one point behind. Inter involved in a bit of a game themselves. We'll talk about that shortly. Yeah, and also Inter and Lazio play on the final day of the season, uh, which could well be a Champions League playoff. Um, but uh, Roma have by far the most fable running. You know, between the Barcelona game and the Liverpool game, they played what Genoa and Spal, which look on paper you'd say, facially, facially, you know, they can easily walk, um, easily beat these two teams. But these are sides that Roma have under Di Francesco struggled against, teams mm. that basically park the bus and make you play. Um, and they demolished those teams. Yeah, but that was when they were on a high post-Barcelona. I'm wondering mentally how they're going to be. Well, mm. let me ask a different question. And the, the other big news involving Roma this week was that finally they went and got a shirt sponsor and a huge one as well. Uh, there are reports that it's the biggest or one of the biggest Italian shirt sponsorships ever. Does this change Roma's position? This is a club that's had to sell off any number of players, including, of course, Mo Salah recently. I mean, the figure that was quoted was what? Was it forty million over three years? Yeah, forty over three. So that's not earth shattering. No, it's it's a lot of money. I'm. It's off. a lot of money in Italy. Yeah. Here, it's not a lot of money. That's what you know. A, a Man United or a, let's say a Barcelona gets in a year. You get more than that a year. But for Roma, who haven't had a shirt sponsor in what? Would win seven years. It's a lot of money. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of City A, the Premier League, and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends, and sell at a profit. Because you listen to Golazzo, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with a seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. TNCs apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Quando siamo arrivati all'89esimo minuto di gioco. Two nights before Liverpool dismantled Roma, there was a big game in Turin. A big game which featured a big goal in the 90th minute. Ecco il suo cross in aria, Koulibaly! Yeah, Koulibaly's header there, magnificent header it was too. And you've probably seen the, the seismic charts of uh, the Naples area, no? Mm. And there's a kind of nice flat line and then the moment when Koulibaly scores, the needle just goes off the chart. And I this thought that was Koulibaly landing. just landing again after <laughs> jumping up into the stratosphere. And very possibly, very possibly. This, of course, for a game that happened Lord knows how many hundreds of kilometres to the north. We talked about this on Monday. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, Gab, but what was extraordinary wasn't just that they won they set themselves up for so much pressure. The fans piled so much pressure on the club. And Napoli, to me, isn't a side that necessarily comes through in clutch games with the big performances. This time, they certainly did. I think their record in, let's say, games against the top sides this year, people will point out that they lost to Roma at the San Paolo mm. and Juventus at the San Paolo. But all the other games, they've been pretty brilliant in um, against those sides they went to Rome they 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 won um, against Lazio and Roma at the Olimpico they've gone to Turin 
they've won at uh, the Allianz Stadium for the first time in, well, first time ever. First time they've won in Turin in, in nine years. You look at other kind of ways you want to measure, let's say, mental strength. They've come back to win from behind nine times this year. They've mm. recovered 28 points from losing positions. And they've been unbeaten away from home in 18 months in the league. That takes guts, no? If you ever win the title this year, it, it'll be because they got more points than Napoli. And Juve have twice the wage bill of Napoli. Napoli have the fifth highest wage bill in Serie A. Okay, I think this is worth, this is really worth remembering. And yet Napoli will end up with, what, one of the five highest points totals in the history mm. of Serie A. That is an unqualified success. And it, it does, it's not going to make it less of a success if Juventus screw up against Inter and so Napoli win or not. Napoli have done their part. You know, the, the rest of it, it's, it really is out of their hands now. Mm. And in fact, literally out of their hands because well, they, they have, need Juve to drop points. They need Juve to drop at least two points, no? Because it's going to come down to goal difference. And uh, they're, I think, Juve 10 points better off in, on goal difference. These, these are the games that face the two sides. Napoli have Fiorentina away this weekend. Torino at home, Sampdoria away, and then Crotone at home on the final day. Juve have Inter away this weekend, then Bologna at home, then the Coppa Italia final, then Roma away, and then Hellas Verona at home. Hellas will be down by that point, yeah. almost certainly. Uh, Juve won't have Chiellini, I imagine, for some of those games, if not all. Hyperextended the knee, is that right? Yeah. Um, but the, the, the first step, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to mentally play those games in your head. It, is, does that sound like a big enough advantage in terms of the calendario for, for Napoli? Two points worth of advantage? Well, I mean, we'll get to the debut d'Italia later. But, well, um, we can do it now if you well, want. Well, okay, I mean, Juventus lost at San Siro twice last year, mm. away at Milan and away at Inter. I would say Inter have a lot better than they were um, then. Roma, yeah, depending on what Lazio and Inter do, might have it already wrapped up for Champions League football there, but it, there's just a point between them. So I think that's going to go down to the wire as well. And we imagine they'll be out of the Champions League. If we look at Napoli's games, um, there's some tricky ones in there as well. They go away to Fiorentina. Where I don't think they've ever won on the Marito Sadi. Um, but, and it's a Fiorentina side that have been in great form until, what, the last week where mm. they've they lost in midweek and they lost last weekend as well. Um, but they're chasing Europa League. They've got injuries, suspensions, um, so that plays into Napoli's favour. You then get Samp, who are horrendous away from home, but arguably one of their few teams with a better record than them at Marassi, where this game will be played, and they're chasing Europa League as well. And Crotone on the final day could very much need to get something in order to survive and have another. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be as great an escape as last year, but need something. So. Yeah, all of those games. Uh, and of course, we're looking at them maybe thinking, expecting Napoli to win as well. So. Yeah. We shall see. All right, well, it all starts with the Derby d'Italia this weekend. So we've dusted off a classic game, the classic Derby d'Italia from April the 26th, 1998. Funny how analogous the situation was. Back then, 1998, there was a title on the line. Back then, there were four games to go when this Juve Interclash came up. This one was in Turin. Back then, there was one point between the top two Although, of course, in that case, it was Inter who were challenging as they travelled to Juventus, a Juventus team that was basically winning everything at the time. So Inter had gone out and bought for themselves the best player in the world, Ronaldo, who previous to this, the previous encounter indeed, had started with him being presented with the Ballon d'Or as 
you know, player of the year. Would finish top scorer that season. Mm. So Inter took the field that day, that April day in 1998. 20 years ago tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Their team included Javier Zanetti, Diego Simeone, who had an interesting, uh, interesting uh, series of encounters with Edgar Davids. In the clash, he had Aaron Vinter there, Yuri Jokaev, who'd scored the only goal when Inter had hosted Juve that season. And, of course, Ronaldo. Juve's team, Gab, Didier Deschamps, Davids, as I mentioned, Pippo Inzaghi, a certain Zinedine Zidane, and, of course, Del Piero. The star, though, I think, was Piero Ceccarini, the referee. <laughs> because of this. Ronaldo, la caccia della palla, tentativo di Torricelli. Zamorano velocissimo, a vuoto Birindelli, poi Ronaldo, su Ronaldo, Giuliano in opposizione, non interviene Ceccarini, protestano i giocatori dell'Inter, l'azione prosegue. Davids lancia Zidane, su Zidane c'è Colonnese, Zidane aspetta Del Piero, lo raggiunge con l'interno destro, poi West su Del Piero e Ceccarini indica il calcio di rigore e qui si scatena il putiferio, le proteste dei giocatori dell'Inter costringono proprio all'arretramento fisico il direttore di gara. Conte cerca di trattenere Colonnese, anche Zelenias protesta Simoni. Well, for those who don't speak Italian, Juve 1-0 up, but Ronaldo is bearing down on goal, puts the ball past Juliano. Juliano just ignores the ball and picks up and runs straight into him. Doesn't stand his ground, just runs straight into him, knocks him to the floor. Inter amazed to see Ceccarini wave his arms, play on, no foul here, nothing to see. And while they're trying to get their jaws off the floor. Davids has swept the ball upfield. It gets through to Del Piero. There's some contact between him and Toribio West. Hard to see, really, looking back on this, but possibly a penalty. But, of course, Ceccarini, 15 seconds after denying, Inter blows instead for Juve to have a spot kick, which, as it happens, Del Piero misses. But by that point, it doesn't make any difference. Inter have gone out of their heads. Gigi Simone, the manager, is, has come. He's basically on, he's almost at the centre circle. Game's going on, and Inter manager's wandering around the pitch shouting. Uh, Massimo Moratti leaves the stadium in disgust, and it all kicks off in the days to follow. He marches in Rome towards the, uh, the, uh, the Italian FA offices, the league offices. And, of course, uh, famously, a, a scuffle in Parliament between Massimo Mauro and uh, the, the former Juve player who was with the DS and, uh, and a member of Alianza, the, the, the always level-headed Alianza Nazionale. Final score that day was 1-0. Juve went on to reach their third straight Champions League final, where, ironically enough, they lost 1-0 on a very controversial Mijatovic goal. Offside. Offside. I think you had a, a feeling of resignation, of confirmation. This eight years before the whole Cacciopoli uh, trial, which in many ways confirmed people's suspicions that the referees, whether consciously or unconsciously, favoured Juventus. This confirmed, I think, for everybody that they were playing a game that there was only going to be one winner of. Yeah, and I think uh, Moratti at that time was saying, basically, look, we can't believe what we're seeing anymore. You know, Serie A has a credibility problem. And yeah, the long-term effects of this will be that you know fans will no no longer come to stadiums; they'll be empty. And you know, just just what's the point? Um, really interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the a number of the players, like Ronaldo, said, "Look, I played in Spain. I've just come from playing for Barcelona." Everyone says that Madrid get favours there. I've never seen anything like this. It's not just today; it's over and over again. And I think um, the week before, I think uh, Juve had played Empoli, and they'd. Um, 
they'd won one nil. Fabio Pecchia um, scored, and there was some dubious decision there. I, th- I can't remember whether they, whether they disallowed a goal which crossed the line, um, and they shouldn't have disallowed it. So there was it was clear that stuff had been building for for for, for a while. What I will say. A, that was a really good Juve team. They reached three consecutive Champions League finals. Mm. So they, they've always said, look, we were pretty darn good in Europe too. So don't give me this idea that, you know, we needed to, uh, to, to somehow go and, and, and drive this advantage home domestically. The other thing with the Ceccarini thing, I mean, if you see where he is on the pitch, he's far away from both incidents, right? Because it, the, the turnaround is so quick. I don't. I, I genuinely don't think he had any idea what happened. He thought it probably was a foul, mm. but he bottled it. And then at the other at the other end, he also saw that it was you know it was Teriba West. So surely there must have been there must have been a foul. I, I'm. I mean, I probably shouldn't be giving him the benefit of the doubt. But, but he says he says now, looking back on it, that his only mistake was not giving a <laughs> free kick for Juventus. Yeah. Which is a singular reading of the situation. I, I'm not for Juve or for Inter, and I know that there are a lot of Juve fans who look at that and go, "No, that was never a penalty." And indeed, that's what one of the commentators said at the time. But when you watch the pictures, it's it's hard to see how you mm. can really come to that conclusion. I think most Juve fans, at least the ones I've spoken to, would say, "Yeah, that should have been a penalty." But yeah. by the same token, you've used it to call us crooks and liars and beat us over the head with it and create this whole climate against us. And and that's not fair either. Uh-huh. Um, it's not that every call all of a sudden is it has to be a pro Juve. No, I think the calls think, that led to Juve being called crooks were the ones that Modji was making. It's fun, but but yeah, I can un- but appreciate that. But then we open the can of worms. We no, say, for well, sure. And, it, it was and you touched right? on something there, which is that the real one of the the real shames about this, one of the real pities about this, is that there was a truly magnificent team who will forever, in most people's minds, have an asterisk against them, who lost a couple of titles behind all of this, mm. who will forever have that shadow hanging over them because of what Moji and the Cupola were up to. And they clearly were. I mean... Well, and they'll also point out, you know, what happened a few years later and uh, and, and, and Perugia and Colina. Colina, mm. Colina again, you see. You know, just uh, no, uh, it, and and the problem is like, you know, people bear these grudges in eternity. I mean, you know, for for those was it they played on the last day of the season under um, deluge, <laughs> under a deluge, yeah. and and the, the game was delayed, and then Colina said no, no sixty-seven minute half time. Let's yeah, that play. I mean, okay, so let's touch on that because that was the the day they went to Perugia, needing I think a draw to. Win the title, and Lazio were, were down in Rome, and there was sun all over the peninsula, apart from one cloud over Perugia. Naturally, we were in Perugia, and the rain was so bad we had to cease our transmission because basically the all the electrical equipment had to be shut down. The, the whole place was deluged. They couldn't come out and play in the second half. I mean, they really couldn't, but they did eventually. And uh, while Lazio had finished their game, were hanging around in the Stadio Olimpico to find out what the result was. Perugia came up with the shot win and. Svenjorn Eriksson was, was champion of Italy. Yeah, he finally did it after what blowing it with Roma in 1986. Okay, well, so there's been a lot of bad blood over the years between these two clubs. It, it dates back kind of all the way because they were the two sides that had the most had the most trophies, that had never been relegated, all this business. The 98 game stoked the fire. It was whipped up even further by what happened after Calciopoli when Inter 
unlike Milan and Juventus and Fiorentina and Lazio, uh, come out of the trial unscathed as the good guys. Well, anyway, hopefully it's going to be a good time this weekend when Juventus visit Inter for the latest instalment of this long rivalry. You mentioned they didn't have the happiest of times at San Siro last season. Gab, what do you think about this one? I, I don't know what to think of, of Inter. I mean, if Perisic decides to play <laughs> and if the Bras shows up, then I think Inter can score a couple of goals and make it very, very difficult for you. I think the real challenge for Juve now is he's got some things to repair internally. Paolo Dybala was terrible, but what do you do with him? I, I don't know that Sammy Kadira, I don't I don't think he's there at all mentally. Um, the other thing is, he, he there's, obviously there's no Chiellini, but this is what really bugged me is, A, he started Hervidis, which, you know, this is a big game. The guy's making his third, third start of the yeah. season. I know he played the week before. and <laughs> I actually think that he felt guilt, he, he fell prey to what a lot of managers fall prey to and says like, oh, look. He's a World Cup winner. Oh, of course. And he's German, so mm. he's trustworthy, right? And I'm not saying Hervé was the problem, but I think that sends a message to Licksteiner, to, to Rugani. I mean, poor Daniele Rugani's thinking, like... What do I have to do to get in this team? What do I have to do? Because, frankly, and, and I know there's a lot of Chiellini fans out there, but, frankly, Rugani is better at everything defensively than every single Juventus defender, with a possible ex- exception of Medi Benassia on a good day. That's just a fact, right? Normal manager who doesn't feel in hawk to his veterans and his big names would be starting those two people. I, I, I think most. Of, I mean, am I wrong? No, I agree. I was I mean, su- <laughs> very surprised with uh, when Chiellini went off that he didn't immediately look to Rugani. Are Napoli going to get the win in Florence to keep Juve under pressure? I think that Fiorentina have got problems because um, yeah, in the last two games against Sassuolo and Lazio, they've played down to 10 men from early on in the first half. Uh, I think they, also this sort of march they've been on since the tragic death of Davide Astori has taken it out of them a little bit and they look a bit um, uh, jaded. Um, Badel as well is out injured. So they've got some issues in midfield where, of course, Napoli are just so, so strong. But... Fiorentina did frustrate them at the San Paolo earlier in the season. They got, what, a nil-nil, was it? Um, I think given that this Fiorentina side looked very depleted, um, Napoli should be able to take care of business. Given how Fiorentina fans feel about Juve fans, Mm. do you think that we might... I mean, I know you you didn't play the day before, but do you think that might come into it if it's late in the game or whatever? And uh, and Torino fans, because Torino play against Napoli as well uh, in this in this running. You know what outcome are these are these fans going to want? You know, I think um... <laughs> interesting. All right, one last thing before we wrap up then for this week. There's a bunch of other stories we we could talk about. Benevento are definitely down, but did pick up their first away win of the season against, of course, Milan, and <laughs> and all their problems seem to be resurfacing now. Um, but there's so much talk in the UK about Maurizio Sarri and Max Allegri and their future. Could they be battling over a different title soon? The title of Arsenal manager, Chelsea manager? What do you guys think? I think Sarri is very aware that he's got to a certain age and um, he uh, has been paid very, relatively little for a long, long time. And this might represent, this is the time when his stock is very high. Mm. And um, I don't think Napoli would be able to match an offer that were to come from, say, a Monaco or a Chelsea or an Arsenal. 
We shall see. We shall see. All right. Guys, thank you so much. We have another Golazzo coming up next week, listeners. If you can bear to wait that long, we'll be discussing Palmer. That's right, Palmer. The good times, the bad times. We'll be having a chat about that. Of course, there's loads of Totally Football Show in the meantime, so I do hope you'll be joining us soon. In the meantime, Gabardelli, many thanks for today. Pleasure. Also to you, James Horncastle. As always. And now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the Totally Italian Football Show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Listeners, around 97% of those of you who tune into the Totally Football Show are male. But despite being more likely to be diagnosed with cancer than women, men are much less likely to ask for help, even when they need it. And that's why we've teamed up with Macmillan Cancer Support to try and put that right. Cancer can affect you emotionally as well as physically. It can affect your relationships, your work and your confidence. So it's vital to seek support. Talking is an important part of dealing with cancer and Macmillan wants to make men with cancer of whatever sort more aware of this so they can be honest and open with their family and loved ones. For more information or to find support, visit macmillan.org.uk. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.org.uk.